Isaiah 53. That hymn we just sang, I take, O cross, thy shadow for my abiding place. Words to consider. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face, content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. Beneath the cross of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning in verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray now the blessing upon the reading of thy word. We thank you for the hymns and psalms we've been able to sing. We pray most of all for an understanding, Lord, that we might know thee more intimately and closely. We pray now, Father, that, Lord, you would help us this morning to glorify your Son. May you draw us all closer to him. May we find refuge in the shadow of the cross. May we understand more clearly the blessings that flow to us from his wounds and his sufferings. And most of all, this morning, I pray, Father, that by his wounds and sufferings, we might be able to comprehend even greater this morning the great unmerited and undeserving love of God in sending His own Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Lord, we thank You and love You for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Before we look at this text in Isaiah 53 in regards of Christ dying in the place of sinners. I want to take this morning and speak to those who know Christ, who have come by His grace to know the true and living God. And I hope and pray that I could be an encouragement to you this morning. As one grows older, one begins to seriously ponder things which, as a youth, we often take for granted. Namely, what is truly important in life? What is the value and worth of one's life lived? In the end, what truly matters? With the coming of old age, And with the sweeping away of the years, the vanity of this present life becomes more evident than real. And one begins to seriously ponder, what is this all about? What have I learned of Christ? Our Lord said Himself in John chapter 17, this is life eternal that they might know the only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. In many ways, it all comes down to that. You see, for in all our learning as Christians, learning the doctrines of our holy Christian faith, and each and every one of them are just as important and vital as all of them, let us never forget, and I wish to impress this especially upon those who are yet young in years. Let me impress upon your heart and mind and all you're getting and all you're learning. Get Christ. Get more of Christ. 
For it's easy to study and learn doctrine of itself. But if we do not draw nigher or draw nigh to Christ through such knowledge, then such knowledge is of itself vain. I encourage you in all you're getting and all you're learning, learn of Christ. Because in the end, if you live long enough and you look past all those fleeting years and you approach death, the question shall rise also in your own heart and mine concerning what's important in life. What is going to comfort me when I cross that great divide? What is going to give me peace of heart and mind when my life grows old and weary and it begins to totter and become frail? In the time of my approaching death and meeting Christ, what have I truly learned of Christ? That is going to matter. Not if I can define all the doctrines of my Christian faith. Not if I can explain Scripture. Not belittling any of that. But if none of that leads to a greater love and adoration for Christ, beloved, you've run in vain. Because it's all about Christ. It's not uncommon for the true believer as we travel through this barren world of sin that our hearts become often overwhelmed by the many afflictions and trials which confront us on our journey. Or like that of Martha, to become careful and troubled about many things in our service for Christ. Not to mention Satan's temptations, this evil world and even our own hearts often cause us much grief and sorrow. We have a lot of trials, a lot of afflictions. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God delivereth out of them all, but many are the afflictions of the righteous. Through much tribulation we must enter into the kingdom of God. We are acquainted with such divine truths as Christians. And as you grow older in the Lord and older in life, and you begin to look back, you're going to be looking at not so much the trials themselves, but what have I learned from them trials? Have I learned more of Christ? Have I come closer to Christ? We must always be asking ourselves in every affliction and trial and heartache and sorrow, have I learned more of Christ? That's the key. Have I learned more of Christ? And forgive me, I wish not to sound uncaring, but it's not so much about our troubles and our pains and our agonies as it is, do they draw me nearer to Christ? That's what we should be praying for. Against such things we are of ourselves unable and without strength to overcome. And though the Word of God is filled with great and blessed promises to encourage and comfort and strengthen us. Beloved, let me tell you, the very fountain spring and origin of all those promises of God must flow from a true and genuine assurance and acquaintance with the sufferings and afflictions of our Savior Jesus Christ on Calvary in our place. Let me say that again. All the promises of God must flow from a true and genuine assurance and acquaintance with the sufferings and afflictions of our Savior, Jesus Christ, on Calvary in our place. Beneath the cross of Calvary, or Christ, I fain would take my stand. We begin at the cross. We walk in the shadow of the cross. We abide always and forever in the shadow of the cross. We ever lose sight of that, Beloved, we lose much comfort. And so I believe Isaiah 53 personally is written to God's people because he speaks, he's wounded for our transgressions. 
He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. It's a covenant promise to God's elect. And beloved, here we must always found, find the fountain origin of all our comfort and hope in Christ. In the sufferings and afflictions of Christ on Calvary. To stray too far from the shadow of Calvary is to lose some of the greatest comforts and joys which belong to the true believer through those sufferings and sacrifices of Christ on Calvary. Beloved, it is by refreshing our faith, if I can use that phrase, it's by refreshing our faith in Christ by a continual surveying of the wounds and sufferings of our Savior on our behalf, which silences every fear, anxiety, worry, and opposition. Why do I say that? Because I believe a lot of believers are ignorant of this divine truth. In their sufferings and trials and afflictions, they look for promises. Like I said, there's many, countless promises in God's Word, but I'm telling you, all those promises must flow from what Christ has brought us on Calvary. Look at the wounds of Christ. That old hymn, His wounds shall plead for me, for He's wounded for our transgressions. That's violence against the law of God. Our conscience, our guilt, rages because we've sinned or done wrong or failed God. He's wounded for my transgressions. He bore them. That silenced my guilty conscience when I feel I've failed God. Look to Christ. Last week I spoke to a brother who I hadn't seen in 30 years and in our conversations he was troubled by the things that he did wrong in his life and what he should have done and this and that. And I said, brother, lose not sight of what we have in Christ. Lose not sight of what we have in Christ. In Christ, not in yourselves, in Christ. And so we look to the cross of Calvary and we see he's wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my Iniquities, my wickedness, my sinfulness. He was bruised. He paid the price. He paid it fully. It's fully paid. I have nothing to be worried about. He paid the price in full. And I have peace. Oh, just not general peace. Just not what the world calls peace. But I have peace with God, with my own conscience, with my heart, because He was chastised that I might have peace with God. I, do you know what it is to have peace with God? And when I'm sick and sore and wounded and sorrowful and grieving, He bore those for me. We forget what we have in Christ. We must always abide beneath the shadow of Calvary. Look at your beloved Savior when I survey the wondrous cross upon which the Prince of Glory died. Survey the cross of Calvary. Find comfort in his wounds and his afflictions for our sake. See the love of God in every strike, in every stroke, in every chastisement, in every bruise, in every wound. See the love of God, how he offered his son for you and I so that we might have peace with God. An old hymn said it well. Our forefathers knew well, knew much about this abiding beneath the cross of Calvary. We sang it in a few of our hymns. But an old hymn says, In the Lord's atoning grief, in the Lord's atoning grief, listen to this, be our rest and sweet relief. Store we deep in hearts recess all the shame and bitterness. Thorns and cross and nails and lance Wounds are treasure that enhance, vinegar and gall and reed, and the pang his soul that freed. May these all our spirits sate, that means satisfy to the full. May these all our spirits satisfy to the full and with love uh, inebriate, intoxicate. Wonderful how they put <laughs> With love inebriate. They knew something about that. In our souls, plant virtue's root and mature its glorious fruit. Crucified, 
we thee adore. Thee with all our hearts implore, us with saintly hands unite in the realms of heavenly light. Christ by coward hands betrayed, Christ for us a captive made, Christ upon the bitter tree slain for man, he prays to thee. Our forefathers knew something about this abiding at the cross. They knew the comforts of the cross of Calvary that brought to them in every state of life they lived in. Let me tell you something. When we got saved, it was at the foot of the cross, spiritually seen. And I guarantee you when we leave this world, it'll be at the foot of the cross we find the greatest comfort. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that's what we constantly need to keep in focus whenever we walk through this life. Whatever afflictions and trials we meet, whatever studies we're making, let it all be about Christ. I take, O cross, thy shadow for my abiding place. the shadow of a mighty rock within a weary land. At home within the wilderness, they rest upon the way from the burning of the noontide heat and the burden of the day. What is the shadow of Calvary? The cross of Calvary. Everything that could trouble the true believer in this present life when brought beneath the shadow of Calvary are stricken and smitten by the very wounds of Christ in our place. Come to Calvary. Come to Isaiah 53. Survey anew the wondrous cross. Look at each wound, each bruising, each chastisement, every stripe. Observe it. Thank God for it. But most of all, see the love of God in every single wound. The prophet says it's our report. There are many, he says, who won't believe it, who have believed our report. But beloved, listen to me this morning. Isaiah 53 is our report, given to us not by man, but God. And that report is of Christ. We have in these divine words of Isaiah the most blessed and glorious doctrine of the vicarious, if I can use that word. It's a theological term. I don't want to make it complicated. Vicarious and substitutionary atonement of Christ. By vicarious, I mean an act of a person taking the place of another. This is unusual. Let me give you an example. Amongst men, if somebody commits murder, you cannot go up and say, I'll die in his place. The law forbids that. can't happen. He's got to die for his own crimes. You can't go up and say, hey, now if you want to pay a penalty, I'll pay the price. That's a medial thing. That's a small thing. But when it comes to a crime of murder, the law does not allow you to take the place of a murderer to die in his place. But God says, no, I'm going to give you a vicar. That's what a vicar means. Someone who takes your place. God says, I'm going to give you a substitute. Somebody's going to take your place. That's vicarious. Atonement, put those two together, means the bearing of the punishment and judgment of God due to sinners. Christ not only took our place, He bore the punishment and judgment that was due us. Stay with me. You say, oh, I know that. I know, just... When Adam fell into sin and transgressed against the law of God, the divine punishment was spiritual death and separation from God. I'm not going to go into that. I believe most of us understand that, believe that. It was a crime worthy of eternal punishment and death. The day you eat that fruit, you're going to die. Now, if God should require strict justice, listen to me. The punishment for Adam's race would be an eternity. Yet because God is merciful and loving and gracious towards such great transgressions, he would himself appoint a vicar. Listen to me. You say, oh, well, I, I know about all this. You know, how he took my place and, you know, he was made sin for us. He knew no sin. 
again, once again, like I said in the beginning, we can say those things, but do we really truly understand what that means? God himself, it would be enough if God says, okay, I'm going to do my best. No, God himself would appoint a vicar, Jesus Christ, his only beloved son. He would appoint a substitute. What does that mean? Listen to me. God would himself, listen to me, God would himself make the atonement for sinful man. The offended God would make himself the atonement for sinful man. Hereby, 1 John says in 3.16, hereby perceive we the love of God. Here we understand it. We comprehend it. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We should be able to stop right there, take everything that's already been read and said, and go home and have enough to contemplate throughout the next week or month. God would himself make the atonement by providing a substitute. Not merely any substitute, but he would provide his son. And you know what motivated? You know what drove him to provide his son? And you need to listen to this very carefully because you need to understand this, especially in the midst of your trials and afflictions when you're saying that it was the love of God. The love of God. Are you listening to me? I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll come back to this. If we get into a habit of looking at what Christ did on Calvary purely doctrinally, intellectually, and forget that it was God's love that moved him to allow his son to suffer the way he did, we're going to miss all the comforts that Christ's wounds provide for us. But God... Romans 5.8 says, but God commendeth, he proved, he magnified, he made illustrious. God made illustrious his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No room for merit. What moved God to offer His Son? Now listen to me. What moved God to offer His Son, His only beloved Son, for our sins, a substitute in our place, was His love for us. Do you listen to me? Why is that so important? I hope you'll see that by the end of the message, but because love is the greatest virtue amongst men. 1 Corinthians 13. Look also in Song of Solomon's, love stronger than death. Whatever we might be going through in this present life, especially when we near near the end of this life, and the reality of eternity begins to set in, let me tell you the greatest comfort that we're going to have. That's not going to be able to say if I can de define certain doctrines of my Christian faith, which is of themselves important. I'm not belittling those, but it's going to be how am I uh, much aware and acknowledge and acquainted that God loves. He loves. He loves me. How can I be assured of that? He was wounded for all my transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and with his stripes I'm healed. Christ is the evidence, the manifestation of God's love. Christ wounds, bruises, chastisements, stripes, griefs, sorrows in our place. All stem and originate in the pure and undefiled and eternal love of God. Let me get that water. It's important for us to understand that. Every stroke, every wound, every bruise, every stripe, everything that Christ suffered... Every, every single thing, it was stemmed or it stemmed or originated in God's love for us. People could say, well, Christ died for my sins. It's plain and simple, but it's much more than that. 
what do you see in this one? Love and sorrow flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet? Love and sorrow, love and sorrow. You want to see God's love? It's manifested in the why Christ died. He doesn't say it was manifested while we're yet sinners, Christ was raised for us. And I'm not believing in the resurrection. I'm simply saying, Paul says, you want to see God's love commended, illustrious? You want to see it made illustrious and magnified? You want to see God's love towards you? <clears throat> it's in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. You know, in our deepest trials and afflictions, I've learned over the years, deepest trials and afflictions, especially when we begin to approach the end of this life, it's not going to be whether I can define the tulip well or whether I can declare the doctrine of election and predestination or eschatology. All those things are of themselves important. I'll tell you what's going to be. It's going to be, how much am I aware of the love of God for me? You say, well, how can I be assured of that? His wounds shall plead for me. Look at what the Father allowed the Son to endure and suffer. And you'll come to know the love of God. There's a hymn that says, What wondrous love is this? What wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul, oh, my soul, what wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul, what wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul? To gaze upon the sufferings of Christ on our behalf without recognizing and acknowledging God's great love for us in every wound, in every bruise, in every chastisement, in every stripe. Beloved, is to fall short of the very comfort and joy they are intended to give. It's not simply that he was wounded, and that's good, and we'll look at that more closely in detail, hopefully, Lord willing, next week. It's good that he was wounded for our transgressions. It's good that he was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. His stripes were here. Those things are good. He paid the penalty. He paid the price. But if you don't see the hand of a loving God in every strike, in every bruise, you're missing the heart of the message. <coughs> Song of Solomon's Song of Solomon <clears throat> Song of Solomon chapter 8 verse 6 and 7 Set me as a seal upon thine heart as a seal upon thine arm arm for love is strong as death jealousy is cruel as the grave the coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. Listen to it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, he would utterly be condemned. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. There's nothing in this life. There's no affliction, there's no trouble, there's no tribulation, there's no trial that can separate you and I from the love of God which is in which is in which is in Christ Jesus. How can I be assured of that? Let me tell you something. It's looking for example in Isaiah fifty three. Examining what Christ suffered in our place. I say that because when I was a young Christian, I thought, you know, you just start at the cross. You understand Christ died for me, and I believed that, and I had God give me faith to believe that, and, and I was converted, and, okay, Christ died for my sins. Now I'm going to move on, and you, you never move on. You never move on. You never move on. The cross of Christ is our abiding place in everything. When's the last time you were in trouble or trials or afflictions or... Comfort about with many troubles and cares. When's the last time 
you took that moment to survey the cross of Christ rather than trying to look for uh, Romans 8:28. all things work out to the good. God promised me that everything will be okay with me. And those are good promises, wonderful promises. But, beloved, each and every one of those must stem from what happened on Calvary. That is the assurance of those promises. Why? Because he was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for iniquities, chastisement of my peace with, with his stripes, I am healed. And we'll see the climax of that here in a few minutes when we close, but that's what it's all about. It's That's what it is. Jeremiah 3 or 31 says, I have loved you, God says to the prophet, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. With loving kindness have I drawn thee. How did he draw us to him? By Christ. Herein is the love of God manifested toward us. And that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. I have, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. And I drawn thee with loving kindness. How? Look at Christ. Look at his sufferings. That's the manifestation of God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. You see what motivated or moved God to allow his Son to be a substitute for us in carrying the punishment and judgment we deserved is because now listen, this is really this is really amazing. Again, it's something that we should contemplate forever. Simply because God loved us. Now, I, I can't I can't doctrinally explain that, which many men try to do. Maybe someone who's better learned than I can. But I'm telling you, before you were even converted, before before you even knew Christ, God loved you in Christ. You say, I can't fathom that. Neither can I. But he said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God looked upon man and knew man of himself could do nothing. So God appointed a substitute. Not just any. But his only begotten son. And it's amazing when you contemplate it. Think about it for a minute. How can the sufferings and afflictions of one man appease the wrath of God forever and satisfy his perfect justice? forever. The sufferings and afflictions of one man. Who is this Christ Jesus, this Son of Man and Son of God? <clears throat> he had to be of God to bear the punishment and the shame that we deserve. But he didn't do it out of obligation. He didn't do it because, well, there was no other way to do it. The Bible claims that he did it out of love for you and I. <clears throat> Look back in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Verse 10. Now listen to this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Verses 4 to 6, it talked about physical sufferings. He suffered more than physical. He suffered emotionally. He suffered spiritually. And yet, listen to me. And I'll say this so you can contemplate it. Not out of guilt, because he was sinless. That's something to think about and contemplate for a while. Not out of guilt, because he was sinless. It had pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased God to bruise his own very son. Why? For our transgressions, for our iniquities. 
he hath put him to grief. The father put him to grief. You remember when, when Abraham was fixing to offer Isaac his son up? God said, offer your son up. <clears throat> and Isaac, being a, a young man at that time, 18, 21, around there somewhere, wasn't a little boy, looked at his father and said, Father, where's the sacrifice? What did Abraham say? God shall provide a lamb. Christ said, Abraham seen my day and rejoiced. Abraham said, God shall provide a lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Do you know why Christ came into this world, walked amongst men, suffered shame, and was crucified and beaten and bruised? Because God loved us. You know what's going to happen when you get in your deepest trial? That's going to be your anchor. But God loves me. You say, but oh, I'm, I'm chastened pretty sore. So is Christ. Oh, but I'm grieving. So is Christ. Lord, I'm very sorrowful. So is Christ. My soul... My body is sick. So is Christ. You see, he shared in everything. And the origin of all that is because God loved us. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That means jubilant, excited. People say, well, that makes God the Father sound morbid. No, it's because the Father seen his seed. He's seen the results, the fruits of it. The, told, the prophets of the Old Testament, they diligently searched out these things. At what time the Spirit of Christ was in them? That's an amazing text. The Spirit of Christ in them, declaring unto them the glories of his sufferings, or his sufferings, and the glory of that thereafter. The Father seen his sufferings. He bruised him. He put him to grief. He made his soul an offering for sin. And when he seen the travail of his soul, the Father said, Oh, I'm satisfied. God did that for you and I. Do you know that, believer? God did that for you and I. You say, well, how do I know that God did that for me? You believe it. You know that? I'm going to look at that next week, but you believe it. You simply believe it. Why are, you, why are you making it so complicated? You simply believe it. Yes, I know doctrinally God has to give you faith. God has to move in you. God has to grant repentance. I know that. But that's what it is. It's not far from your mouth. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You simply believe it. It's by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves that is the gift of God. It's simply believing Christ died for your sins. Sometimes Calvinists make salvation complicated. If it's complicated, we'd all die and go to hell. It pleased the Lord. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and he shall be satisfied. By Christ's suffering on our behalf, on our behalf, the Bible said the Lord is pleased, and he's satisfied. Think about that for a minute. If you know, if Christian, if you know anything about the wrath of God, the justice of God, the holiness of God, if you know anything about total depravity and what state we were in, we had enmities with God. If you understand any of that doctrine that we so diligently study, think about that. Think about this text. 
pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his hand, and he shall be satisfied. He's pleased. He's satisfied. When God looks upon you as a believer, he's pleased. He's satisfied. Now, those who believe that a Christian never needs to repent because Christ paid all their sins and there's no need for repentance and stuff like that, I, I don't totally agree with that. I, I believe that's not. But there is, in a sense, there is truth to that. In a sense, there's truth to that. Christ paid it all. All of it. He didn't pay it up to the time we got saved and said, okay, from now on you've got to repent every one of them to forgive them. No. And I know this is hard to fathom by our finite minds, but Christ paid it all. He paid it all. Every sin that we would ever commit in this life, Christ paid the price in full. It's paid in full. We'll never answer before God for our sins. We'll never face penal judgment because Christ paid it all. You need to believe that and not just say, well, I believe it's doctrinally true. No, you need to believe that. The Lord is pleased and satisfied. For in his hand, that's Christ, we are made the pleasure of the Lord. Now look at Romans chapter 8. Let me show you this. Romans chapter 8, in the light of all that that we just said. Look at Romans chapter 8. We know these verses, but let's read them anyway. Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now listen, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him so freely give us all things? If God has already given us his everything, what would God withhold from us now? He's given his everything. You see what Paul's alluding to here? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? He's going to charge you and I. And he's talking not only about our enemies, he's talking also about our conscience, our own selves. Who's going to charge anything? Is your conscience going to charge guilt? Do you really understand what Christ did on Calvary? Do you really understand what his wounds did? Do they really plead for you? Do you really believe that anything, even your own conscience, even your own mind, can charge you before God? It is God that justified. He justified us in Christ. My soul, why art thou cast down? I shall yet see God. Do we really know what we have in Christ? Is it clear to us what Christ has obtained for us in our salvation? Is it really clear to us? We need to know these things, especially in times of severe trials and afflictions and sorrows and griefs. And even when we approach death, we need to be assured of that of ourselves, what we have in Christ. He's obtained perfect salvation. Who is he that condemneth? Not anybody charging us, but who's going to condemn you? It is Christ that died. That's where you start. He rather it is risen again, who is even at the right hand of, the, of God, risen again, that seals it. He died, but by Him rising, rising from the dead, He sealed it. God accepted the sacrifice. It's finished. It's complete. Christ paid everything. Christ paid it all. He paid it all. Who also maketh intercession for us? Preservation. He keeps us. Who shall lay any charge? Who shall condemn? Who shall separate? Those are three really things that we constantly trouble us sometimes. Charging us, condemning us, 
separating us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And it's written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. <clears throat> Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that who loved us. How do I know I'm more than a conqueror? Because he loved me. Do you see? We're back to that. He loves me. As simple as it is, it's got a very clear message to it. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. He loves me. You know what your greatest comfort is and your greatest affliction? God loves you. How am I sure of that? Look at what Christ did on Calvary. Survey the wounds. What's my comfort when I come to meet death? And death approaches. Oh, it's a process quicker than you think. Let me tell you something. Quicker than you think, death is death is on your heels. It's looking in your windows. Jeremiah said it's on the street corners. It's looking everywhere. Death is very close. One heartbeat away. Death is one heartbeat away. Death is one heartbeat away from every single one of us. And I'm telling you, as you're older, what is going to be your comfort in that hour when you realize that death is gaining ground? It's quickly approaching. God loves me. Death shall not charge me. Death shall not condemn me. Death shall not separate me. For I am persuaded, are you this morning? For I am persuaded that neither death, death, I like how he starts with death. He doesn't start with life. He says death. He doesn't say neither life or death. He said no death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come. He encompasses everything. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able. Nobody is able. Nobody is powerful enough. Nobody is equipped to separate us from the love of God. Here it is. Isaiah 53. Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, how am I assured of that? Go back to Isaiah. Wounded for my transgressions. Bruised for iniquities. Chastisement of my peace was our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You see, that's the greatest assurance of that. That's why we never leave the shadow of Calvary. That's why we must always be coming back to Calvary in every circumstance of life. I don't care what it is. In all you're getting, dearly beloved, and all the things you're striving to learn about Christ, get Christ. Learn to love Christ. Let Christ be the ultimate goal in everything you seek to obtain. I fear we've lost that amongst the ranks of many believers today who are in a blind zeal to learn all the doctrinal truths. They're missing out on the most important thing. They should lead us to more love to Christ. More understanding of Him. Because I'm telling you, in the depths of your trials, and I'm sure we've all experienced that. I know I have in my 64 years of life, over 40 years as a Christian. There are times in our Christian life when everything just seems to be lost and undone and miserable and failing. It's not going to be my understanding of the doctrine of Calvinism. It's going to be an assurance in my heart by faith that God loves me and that no matter what happens, no matter what happens, nothing shall be able to charge me, condemn me, or separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Preacher, how can you be so sure about that? Because he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised from me. You don't understand. He did all that. And if Christ did all that, he shall not lose one sheep. This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You see how Christ himself emphasizes that? Whom thou hast sent. What's he referring to? God the Father sent him into the world to suffer and die in our place. Whom thou hast sent. That's our security. So whenever trials and afflictions meet us in this pathway of life whenever we draw closer to those uh, to that time of death let us be comforted by the fact that God loves us 
in Christ Jesus, and nothing shall be able to charge, condemn, or separate us. Why? Because Christ paid the ultimate goal. And Father seen the travail of his soul and was satisfied. 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 You see, and all that came about because God granted us faith to believe it. Faith. What must I do to be saved, Paul? Well, you're going to have to get into the doctrine of election or understand the tulip, and you're going to have to understand that without God you can't get saved, and you've got to do this and that. Paul says, no, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that he suffered and died for you. Amen. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's simple. Amen. Child of God, never stray far from the, the shadow of Calvary. Never, never stray far from that. That's going to be your greatest comfort in every affliction and sorrow, trial. And even when you come to approach eternity, your greatest comfort is going to be what Christ has obtained for you on Calvary. Let his wounds plead for you. Amen. And then you can say, nothing shall charge me, condemn me, or separate me. In the love of God, Jesus in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray now, Father, that, Lord, you would be honored and glorified through this. I pray that, Father, someone was comforted and encouraged. Lord, there are many things in this world which trouble us, many things, Lord God, many oppositions, many enemies. Uh, Lord, our own conscience, our own heart, and often, sometimes, Father, we're so troubled. I pray, Father, Lord, that we find comfort in this, that, Lord, in the cross of Calvary, all these oppositions are quickly smitten and stricken, silenced by your wounds. You've paid the ultimate price for us. You've brought us peace. You've brought us fellowship, communion with God. And now in Christ, nothing shall ever, ever separate us from the love of God. What a divine comfort that is for our soul. Lord, I pray that you'd be with each and every one this morning who's perhaps, Father, going through some trials and afflictions. I pray that, Lord, they'd find comfort in your wounds, your sufferings. Lord, I pray that, Father, you'd help us to draw ever closer to thee. For those that know not Christ, I pray, Lord, that, Father, you'd open up their hearts and show them their need of him. And that, Lord, it's simply by faith. There's nothing they can do of themselves. They can't merit it. They can't earn it. It's simply believing in the Lord Jesus Christ that he suffered and died in their place and paid the price for their sins and their punishment that they might be reconciled to God. Father, we ask now you be honored and glorified in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.